Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you to our worship team for great worship leadership today and preparation for this moment. And um, take your Bible, if you will, and turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to be starting a series today. The Lord willing, it will, including today, be four Sundays in a row. And I praise the Lord. And I just want to thank you for the privilege to come and to share with you. But, you know, there's something I want to do before I get started. That always scares us when preachers say that. Like a preacher says, I want to say something before I preach. Like, aren't you going to say something while you preach? Well, today is a very special day. It is the 18th wedding anniversary of Chris and Angela Winford. Would you stand up? Stand up. Amen. Now that's a Romans 8:28 right there. Amen. Amen. You know the 31st proverb says about the wife that she does her husband good, not evil, all the days of her life. They're a great team. And we're so proud of you, and we're praying for you as you walk this journey. Of course, many times we spend our birthdays and anniversaries and important days where? In church. And so I wanted to recognize you. But we're going to look at Romans uh, chapter 8. Some people have called it the Great Eight. And under the inspiration of the Apostle Paul, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul penned these, these amazing words which answer some incredible questions that I think pop up in our lives uh, as we live along the years, but also offer some of the greatest assurances and promises that you find anywhere in the Word of God. And it's interesting to me that in this chapter, some of the greatest promises actually have in the verse number the, the number eight. For instance, in Romans 8, 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And next week, we're going to talk about a suffering and sacrifice. How about Romans 8, 28? We all know it. And we know God causes all things to work together for what? The good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purposes. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about our great salvation and what those verses, and Josh alluded to one of those words, we're going to look at is sanctification uh, later on in a couple of weeks. And then down to verse 38 in the chapter, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so in the last uh, series, uh, sermon in this series, we're going to talk about when we get knocked down, but we're never knocked out. Amen? And so I hope you can look forward to that. These are great promises and assurances in the Word of God. But what I want us to look at today is a verse that's not so well known, and it's verse 8, Romans 8, 8. And it simply says this, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, on the offset, immediately what that reminds us of is that by the works shall no flesh be justified. There's nothing we can do to earn the salvation of our God, that it is by grace through faith. But after you become a Christian, many times we fall into a life of the flesh. We begin to live 
uh, again, according to the ways of the world. And that's not a very happy condition to be in. It does not please God. So I want to ask you today, do you ever feel like at times in your life, no matter what you do, that you're not pleasing God? Is that you? And more to the point, you try and try and try to please God, but you fail. You try to stop sinning, but you fail. And then what do you do? You condemn yourself. What do you do? Well, to answer that today, I want to speak on the subject, the war of the wills. Would you stand with me as we read from Romans chapter 8? And this is a lengthy reading, and so whatever translation you've got, I'm reading from the New American Standard. Do your best to follow along in your copy of the Word of God. Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what law could not do, weak as though it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. I'm in verse 6 now. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life. And peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9 However, you as a believer are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. May God's blessings abide upon the reading of his word. Anybody here like movies? Like to go to the movies? We're all hearing about the new Top Gun coming out. Is that out yet? And I I know many of you will probably go see it, uh, starring Tom Cruise. And I was thinking recently of a movie that starred Tom Cruise and was directed by Steven Spielberg. You'd think it'd be a great movie with those two, but not so much. (laughs) It was called The War of the Worlds. Anybody remember that? 
based on H.G. Wells' famous novel by the same name. And the movie and the book are about creatures from another planet that rise up from under the earth and try to take over the planet. The movie is terrifying, but the end is rather anticlimactic because these invaders from another planet begin to die off from all of the diseases that we have immunity to already on the face of the earth. Weird ending to a movie. Well, gee, Pastor, thank you so much for the movie review. What does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, our lives are something like a war, not of the world's, but of the will's. As believers, we have been given a new spiritual nature, but we still live in a flesh body. And so we have a heavenly nature while we're living still here in an earthly body. And even though we want to do God's spiritual will, sometimes there comes rising up from the flesh of our bodies all these kinds of temptations and desires to do sinful things. It's a battle. Even the Apostle Paul, as great of a man as he was, acknowledged this battle in the previous chapter when he said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives us the answer in the great eight, Romans chapter eight. And several things I want you to see from this chapter. Number one is this, the contest between the flesh and the spirit. Now, depending on your version of the Bible, if you go back through the verses that we read, you will find the word flesh 13 times. Now, if you've got something like the NIV, uh, which is one of my favorite translations, but they may have there instead of flesh, they might put the word sinful nature. And I'm going to tell you in a little while why that's wrong and why it's a bad translation. But 13 times we have the word flesh. And then there are 13 times in this chapter... The Spirit with a capital S, referring to the Holy Spirit. So 13 times flesh, 13 times the Holy Spirit, it must be a tie, stymieing one another. Is that true? And sometimes we ask the question, well, which one is going to win? And the old story says, whichever one you feed. But I want to tell you something different today. I want to tell you something different I want you to hear this. If you're a Christian, there really is no contest between the flesh and the spirit. The contest has already been won by Jesus Christ. And we see the words in the beginning of this chapter in verses 1 and 2, in Christ Jesus. And even the very last verse of this entire chapter talks about being in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus means that you are saved and, and you've got the Holy Spirit of God living in you. And that's the case. You've got the power to win uh, the battle over the temptations and desires of sin and even death. Because Christ won that. He condemned sin, we read a moment ago. We're no longer uh, condemned in our sin and subject to its laws. God has given us a new law and it's called the law of the Spirit. And to me, the Holy Spirit, the law of the Spirit, is sort of a built-in immunity to the power of sin. So that when it tries to rise up in us and get a hold of our bodies, we can overcome its grip. Amen? And that's the law of the Spirit of God. And there's so much in these first four verses. I preached a whole sermon 
on just these four verses before in the first four, but I must move on. But before I do that, I want to go back and tell you why translations like the New International Version, which is absolutely my favorite, are dead wrong when it comes to translating flesh as the sinful nature. If we are in Christ, we don't have a sin nature and a spiritual nature. We only have one nature, and it's a new nature, amen? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And so we have a new nature facilitated by the Holy Spirit of God, which sets us free from the sinful power of the flesh and frees us to walk according to the Spirit. There's no condemnation, and that means we've been forgiven of sin, and the perceived contest between the flesh and the Spirit, there is no contest. We are winners in Christ. Everybody got that? Say amen. Now, here's the second thing I want you to see. is not just the contest between the flesh and the spirit, but the contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And I changed waters this week. I have smart water this week, so I hope that I'll do better. But there's a difference between the flesh and the spirit. There's a contrast. First of all, there's a difference in our focus. In verse 5, it talks about what the mind is set on. And those who wind up in sinful, self-defeating kinds of behaviors, sinful behaviors are those whose minds are set on the flesh. But those who find victory over sin are those whose focus is on what the Spirit of God desires. So we all need to ask ourselves today, what is our focus on? Am I just focusing on that which satisfies myself or satisfy some sinful desire that's cropped up in my life? Or am I trying to satisfy the Spirit of God? Even the best of believers at times get sidetracked. You know, Jesus once said to a man, he said to this man, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You know who he was talking to? Simon Peter, his disciple, the disciple that walked on water. The disciple upon whose faith was was built the foundation of the church. And yet Jesus had to reprimand Simon Peter at this time because his mind was on what he wanted and not what God wanted. And a lot of us, we're stuck in the middle of something, even a sinful behavior, because our mind is focused on what we want and not what God wants. And we've got to get our minds off the flesh and onto the Spirit of God. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above. What difference does that make? Well, it's displayed in the fruits. If you look carefully through verses 6 through 8, you see different mindsets that bear different kinds of fruit. Uh, Paul says a flesh mindset, a sinful mindset, even for a believer, is hopeless, hostile, and helpless. And a mind that's set on the flesh is set on sin or self. In verse 6, he says the mind of sinful man is death. It's, it's hopeless. In verse 7, he says the sinful mind is hostile to God. It's angry with God. It doesn't want to hear about God. Have you noticed that's the world we're living in right now in the United States of America? You bring up God and you get hostility 
from the world. And that goes right back to the, the sinful flesh mindset. And we can even get in that ourselves at times where we even become hostile to talking about God and hearing about God though we became a Christian years ago and were baptized and, and we're in a church. We become hostile. And then thirdly in verse 8 we get to the verse I started out with. The sinful mind cannot submit to God's law. It cannot please God and so we feel helpless. Ho hopeless, hostile, and helpless. This takes us back to chapter 7 where Paul says that even if we want to do good, we're helpless to do it because our mind is focused on the flesh, our body, what our body wants. But look again at verse 6. A spiritual mindset brings what? Life and peace. Say those two words. Life and peace. Say them again. Life and peace. Who wants life and peace? Everybody does except for Putin, maybe. But it's even more than life and peace. You know, Galatians 5.22, Paul expands that and he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. How can we have these things? By having a mind set and focused on what the Spirit wants in our lives. We set our minds on the Spirit of God. And what happens when we do that? The third point today is this. We come under the control of the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, we see that when we set our minds on the Spirit, we're controlled not by the sinful flesh, but by the Holy Spirit of God. Verses 9 through 11 teach us three things about the Holy Spirit. Number one, it's resident in every believer. Verse 9 tells us anyone who is truly a believer in Christ has the Spirit of God dwelling or living in them. And that word for dwell or live in the Greek New Testament is the same word for house. And so the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in the house. It's in this temple, amen? The temple, and, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians, your body is a temple, it's a house of the Holy Spirit of God. It is Christ housed in you. Think about your house where you live. Uh, you live with a family, and uh, sometimes you have people come and visit in your house. Does that change your behavior? When you have somebody visiting in your house and living in your house for a while, it influences you, doesn't it? The way you live, the way you talk, what you watch on television, how you pick up your clothes, and all those different kinds of things. But sometimes we get used to the people that we live in and we just let things kind of fall apart. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God lives in your house and you should yield to that spirit. You should be influenced by that spirit, amen? And if you're not, there's a real problem because the Holy Spirit is resident in your life. Secondly, the Holy Spirit imparts righteousness. In verse 10, Paul says almost in passing, if Christ is in you, though you, have, you live in the flesh body that is predisposed to sin and death, you have a spirit that is alive because of righteousness. As Christians, listen, we don't work for righteousness, we work from righteousness, amen? And the Bible tells us that the righteousness of holy God lives in us and the spirit that lives in us is constantly radiating uh, to every 
arena in every area of our lives, into every dark corner of our minds and body, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit empowers a resurrected life. Verse 11 reminds us that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. And that's why the resurrection is so important in our faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ be not risen, our faith is in vain. It is futile. But if God, listen, if God can raise a man from the dead, he can cause us to overcome anything that we face in our mortal bodies. Amen? And that means we have power over sin. We have power over self. We have power even over Satan. And so we should have a mindset on the Spirit of God. And that Spirit is resident in us, that the Spirit might control us, that we might live righteously, and that we might have resurrection-powered lives. But in order for this to happen, you must come to a point where you exercise a commitment of your flesh body to the Spirit. We need to make a commitment to live under the Holy Spirit with a mindset and with a life under the control of the Spirit of God. It's not enough for us to have the Spirit, but the Spirit must have us. In fact, Paul says in our text, it is an obligation. In verse 12, Paul says we have an obligation to live, not to the flesh, but to the Holy Spirit. Other translations say we have a debt to live according to the Spirit. Christ has purchased our salvation, he has declared us righteous, he has given us eternal life and his very own spirit. We are in debt to God for what he has done and we should live that way. In a marriage, we get married and we say our vows for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness or in health, to love and to cherish till death do we part. But we start living in marriage, we start living that life, and one of the things I teach is that we should have times of recommitment. I know on our 25th anniversary, uh, we had a, a time of recommitment where one of my former youth pastors came in, and, and we had it in our home, and it was a, a wonderful time, but I would say to you in your marriage every day, you need to get up and recommit, because you know, every day, we don't well, I have, I have people coming in my office who are having problems in their marriage, and they'll, they'll say things like, well, I don't feel like I love him anymore. Or I, I, I don't feel like I'm married. Too bad, because you are. <laughs> and you made a commitment. You have an obligation. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God when we commit to it, it brings transformation in our lives. Verse 13, I want you to look at that again because I think it's very important and because I need a drink of water. <laughs> it says that if we choose to keep our minds on the flesh, do you see, what does it say? You will die. Now, I don't want us to misread this but could that literally mean literal death? I think it can. Although I am sure, I can't be sure, must be careful not to judge. I, I believe I've seen situations where believers in Christ have started just falling into the ways of the flesh again or that are doing a lot of damage uh, and, and to the community of faith and in the community at large. And I think that God just takes them out. 
I try not to judge, but I can think of some situations like that. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 16, there's a sin that leads unto, anybody know? Death. What sin is that? I'll tell you what sin it is. It's any sin that you commit willfully over and over and over again. And it can bring death into your life. It can bring the death of a job. It can bring the death of a relationship. It can bring the the death of your health. It can. It can bring the death of your literal life. There was a man who wrote a book on this one verse. Romans 8, 13, his name is Owen, not me. (laughs) Actually, he has a double name, John Owen. That's the same name in two different languages, by the way. But the book is called The Mortification of Sin in Believers. Mortify is a 17th century word for kill. And the whole premise of his book is this. Be killing sin or it will kill you. Some of you have a sin right now in your life as a believer and it is killing you. But as scary as that might be, the opposite is just as true that a commitment, an obligation to the Holy Spirit of God to live by the Spirit will help you to overcome that sin in your life and it will kill the sin and you'll live. And that word for live is a verb that indicates it is an action that you are able to perform upon yourself. We heard the word from Galatians 5, and 23 a moment ago, self-control. And what this means is that you have the self-control. It's in your control to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Nobody else can do that for you. You've got to do it for yourself. Let me illustrate this in a silly way. In the year 2020, in the fall of 2020, uh, we had our house painted. I used to do all that myself, but I've gotten to a point where I don't like to get on a ladder. You know what I mean? And so I hired somebody to do it, and they said they put mildicide in my paint. But the next year, I found myself on a ladder four times cleaning mildew off my house. And it was so bad that I even had to use a scrub brush. Can you imagine getting up on a ladder and scrubbing the eaves? trying to get the mildew off. And then my son-in-law, who is very smart, he came along and he said, I know that there's a solution you can get at the hardware store, and if you mix it with bleach and water and spray it on, the mildew will disappear. And I was skeptical. But I bought it, and guess what? It works. But I don't have an NIL deal for that product, so I'm not going to tell you what it is, all right? So... But it worked. Everything just disappeared. The mildew just went away. Listen, I want to say the Holy Spirit of God can do that in your life for your sins. But we have to commit to the Holy Spirit and apply the Holy Spirit. But you think, oh, I've been down this road before. And I'm right back where I started with the same old sin of the flesh. Well, that makes me wonder if I've got the Holy Spirit. Well, here... The fifth point I've got for you today, this is the last one, but I'm not done yet, all right? This is the last point, the confidence in the flesh with the Spirit. We have said that anyone who belongs to Christ has the Spirit of God, but what Paul teaches us here is that anyone who has the Spirit can be confident that they belong to Christ. Paul says uh, that the Holy Spirit assures us that we are God's children, 
Verse 16 says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That's great, isn't it? So the Spirit's talking to us from the inside out and saying, yes, you're saved. Yes, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's the way I can test that out? Well, verse 14 says that those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And so we can know we are God's children because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us from the inside out and we are willing to be led by the Spirit. The other thing is found in verse 15, that you're not afraid of God. If you were to die today and face God, would you be afraid of that? Are you afraid of God like a slave toward a master? You know, we don't have a spirit of fear if we're believers, but of sons and daughters, Paul says, and we can cry out to him as a son to a father, even in an intimate way, saying, Abba, Father, and that word Abba means what, you know? Daddy. This is the same cry of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Paul says in Galatians, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son and our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. And so we know we're God's children because the spirit is speaking to us on the inside, because we're willing to be led, and because we're not afraid of God. We're not serving him as a slave to a master. We're serving him as a child of God. And that leads us to the fact that the Holy Spirit rewards us as Christ co-heirs. Paul likewise says in Galatians, so you're no longer a slave, but a son, and since you're a son, God has made you an heir. So we're heirs with Christ. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us as believers. You remember the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son took what was given to him in his inheritance and he went into a faraway land and he, and he wasted it in sinfulness and selfishness. But then he decided to come home to the father. But what did he come to his father? What was his intent? I'm going to go home and instead of being a son anymore, I'm going to be what? A slave. I'm going to be a slave to my father. But his father wouldn't have anything to do with that. His father received him home as what? a son, and restored his inheritance. And as a Christian, maybe you have been living in the flesh, far away from God, and walking according to the sinfulness of this world instead of the Spirit of God. You may think that you can no longer please God no matter what you do. You may even think God is done with me. In the military, there used to be something called Section 8, How many of you have heard that term? Section 8. And Section 8 is when a person who is active military personnel is determined by a series of processes to be unfit to any longer serve in uniform and under the flag of our nation. And they are discharged and that follows them the rest of their lives. Now actually, Section 8 is no longer a part of the military law, but I just bring it up because I think some of us, some of us, feel like we've gone too far in the flesh, that we're no longer fit to serve God, that we're a a section eight. But if that's the case, I want you to look at Romans eight, amen? That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You can be forgiven. You can come home to the Lord. You can get your mind set on the things of the Spirit and have life and peace, amen? 
And what this means is, no matter what temptation you're facing, or what sin you are embracing, or what addiction may be encasing, or what lifestyle may still be chasing, Christ has already paid the penalty for that, and the Holy Spirit of God has unlocked your jail cell, and you can go free, amen? And that same Spirit of God sets you free and can by the resurrection power raise you up from any situation that you find yourself in today and put you on the road to life and peace. But you know, sometimes I hear people say, I know God can forgive me, but you don't know what I've done. I can't forgive myself. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Have you said that? I know that sounds like good therapy, and counselors talk about it all the time, and I don't don't want to blow your mind, but I just want to say that forgiving yourself is not even biblical. Forgiveness can only be received from God or from someone else. And if someone else will not forgive you for what you've done, listen, we have a God and Father who always will. Do you hear me? Does it ever throw you in in David's great penitent prayer in in the Psalms that he says, against you and you only have I sinned, Lord, and done what is unrighteous in your sight? Does it ever bother you? I mean, didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Didn't he sin against her husband or Uriah and send him to the front of the lines so that he might perish in the battle? And didn't he continue to sin? And yet, in the end, David is absolutely right that all sin in the end is against God and whatever the sin is, you can be forgiven. God will forgive you. One of the most powerful illustrations I've ever seen in my life, I saw illustrated when I was doing mission work in Moldova, which is right next door to the Ukraine, by the way. And we were there and we were visiting in homes in a small village and we went into the home and, and there was a lady there and we were sharing Christ with her and we were talking about receiving forgiveness. That's so important, isn't it? And the lady said, I'm sorry, but I can't be forgiven. And through the translator, I said, well, why not? And she said, the priest of our local parish has told me that I cannot be forgiven. And I said, well, what did you do? And she said, I had an abortion. And the priest has said that God will never forgive me of having an abortion. And that was the, the teaching of the Orthodox Church in Moldova at, at that particular time. I don't know whether it still is or not, but they said, you can't be forgiven. But you know, we shared with her the gospel, and we opened the word of God to her, and, and we asked her to pray the sinner's prayer, and, and she began to pray that prayer, and when it came to forgiveness, she began to sob, And she sucked in great gulps of air and she fell to her knees and she began to ask God to forgive her and she gulped in some more air and then she just fell right over on her face and I thought we have killed her. (laughs) But then she got up and for the first time in her life she knew real forgiveness, amen? No matter what you've done, God will forgive it. Somebody else may not forgive you. Somebody else may not forget it. But God will take your sin and cast it in the deepest part of the ocean. 
and he'll treat it as if he remembers it no more. (laughs) Amen, that's good news. I got called out one day by a distraught wife and I came into the home and she said, I'm worried about my husband. He uh, was uh, recently retired from the military and this was many years ago and I only tell this story because it's completely anonymous but she didn't know what was wrong with him and I began to talk with him and I I began to ask him, what's the problem? And he said, I don't believe that I can ever be forgiven. And I said, why not? And he said, I'm going to tell you something that not even my wife knows. But in the military, I was a sniper. And in the line of duty, I took lives. And I can still see that happening every time I did it. And I don't believe God will forgive me of that. And once again, you know, I opened the word of God and we prayed and and he got down on his knees and with tears in his eyes, he received forgiveness from almighty God for what he perceived was wrong even though he was doing it in the line of duty. It was a burden in his life and I'll never forget. I baptized him a few weeks later and I'll never forget. I put him under the water and said, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life, Amen. Now, I've given you two little illustrations of things that are very deeply troubling that people have done. I just want to say to you, if God could forgive these two people of what they have done, don't you think he can forgive you? But you must let him. You must let him win the war of the wills in your life and the only way that can happen is by saying the same thing Jesus did in the garden of Gethsemane yet not my will but thine be done would you pray with me now thank you for listening heads are bowed and eyes are closed and in just a moment we're going to come to a time of invitation at God's altar Pastor Chris will be at the front and others who may be needed and Maybe you just like to come to the altar, pray for yourself or pray for someone else. I know there's a battle even over that. You know, some of you are thinking, I'd like to go, but what will people think? Who cares? (laughs) I think they'll think a lot better of you, really. But most important is what will God think? And God welcomes you. And maybe you're in that sin that you've been embracing and that addiction that has been encasing and that past that has been chasing. But today, you can put that behind you by turning anew to Christ. If you're a believer already, you can ask the Lord to forgive you. And see, when Christ died 2,000 years ago, you were there. And when... There was no sin in him, but when he was condemned, he condemned sin in you, that you might be free from it. Even after all these years, he died for you, particularly your sin, yourself. And you can come back to him like the prodigal coming home to the father. You can find renewal in your faith. You can find life and peace if you'll set your mind on the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there's some of you that have never come to that moment in your life. It's called being born again. It's called being saved. It's called becoming a believer, being a Christian. 
but it's a moment of transaction where you present yourself, all of yourself, all of your sinful self to the Lord, and you pray to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you turn away from sin to the Savior and ask Him to forgive you. And this is not my word. This is the word of God that he will save you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's promise to you. And I encourage you, young or old, no matter what you think about yourself, come to Christ. You'll never regret it. Father, thank you for this time you've given us in the word today and in this great eight to look at the war of the wills. And Father, I pray that that you will be winning over all of our sinning. In Jesus' name, amen.